This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. Let's just say that each of us is a house, and there are a lot of nice steamy hot showers being taken in that house, and inside the walls, black mold is growing. And every now and then, we see a patch of dark stuff on the wall, and we know what it is, and it isn't good. But we pull out a can of paint and we slap some white paint on there and then those mold spots are no longer visible and then we keep taking those hot showers pretty soon inside the walls of the house there's a real mold problem black mold everywhere and the more paint we slap on the faster the mold spots appear and we just keep slapping on the paint (laughs) that's the first analogy i came up with to describe our shadow side Basically, our shadow side is the mostly unhelpful garbage that builds up under all the layers. It's our dark twin. It means we're walking around in the world, talking, moving about our business, but we're doing it without even a fraction of the power that we could be holding. Every time an eight puts on a confident swagger so that the world sees strength, inside our walls, under the surface, we're actually growing more and more insecure. The swagger isn't real strength. It's an act, and the more we employ it to convince ourselves we're strong, the more untested we are as to whether we are in fact strong. How are we going to ever know how strong we really are unless we stop the tough act and we actually test it out? And every time we carpet bomb people with big energy or big statements just so that we can feel real or alive, our place in the world actually becomes less tenable as we never put out those roots and tendrils that bind us to other people. We never make space for people to come inside because they can't get past all of that big energy. And every time we tell the world we don't care what they think because we think that makes us untouchable, We become more and more fragile inside, so that when something finally does penetrate, we might shatter. And what if all of that moving around, all of that fast-paced chasing and running that we tell ourselves means we're really productive people, has actually stopped us from really sitting with ourselves and figuring out what we really feel and who we really are? And what if telling ourselves that we're all alone and that nobody can really handle us and that we're too much and that that's just the price we pay for being watchdogs and protectors and truth speakers is actually stopping us from risking being a part of the messiness of community. Our shadow side is layers and layers and layers of armor that stop us from really growing up actually really developing an inner strength that we can really stand on no matter what comes. So let's talk about it. Let's name it. Let's call it like it is. If we can finally see the layers that are there, then maybe we can start taking them off. Not all at once, but layer by layer until we get our real wish. Incredible strength, incredible fortitude, and deeper connection with people than we ever thought was possible. We are sitting here in a beautifully decorated and lit hotel room. Floor-to-ceiling windows across the whole wall. We could get used to that, but we can't do that because we have an awful lot of needy children and bank accounts that won't support it. (laughs) But it's pretty great. (laughs) It is. It's beautiful. Yep. We just hammered out three interviews with some of you last night, and we just got a lot done. Eight style. Yeah. When you take all the noise away, like your kids and your husbands and your life. It sure makes you efficient. (laughs) Yeah, this one is going to be about our shadow side. And this is often what makes people shy away from Enneagram is it's just heavy. And it's all the things about ourselves that we have spent a lot of time denying. And now that we're starting to see it, there's something about it that's disturbing and tiring to wade into. It requires a lot of emotional energy and a lot of maybe looking back, a lot of... I was going to say a lot of openness. Yeah, like internal you really work. Be, need to just be wide open. It feels like you're you're punched constantly in, in the gut. When we first heard this, a lot of it, we were like, no, no. This is where change happens. It's also the one spot where some of you have pushed back on us. So when we've waded into this in the past, even a little, little bit, that's when we've started to see that eight fire come out. And we can take it 
so this it's a wide open we invitation for you we were the same way and i think we really understand that response because that was our initial reaction as well yeah as much as i truly believe that it's safe to say that this shadow stuff that we're talking about applies to all eights on some level it's going to show up differently and we're going to have a different relationship with each of these uh these tricky parts and it's so sensitive that I don't want you to basically wade into it and identify with it until you're ready. So I'll try really hard to speak in terms of I or me, and then you can go ahead and I and and me that when you're ready. <laughs> I know how, how we work and we can get our, our hackles up and our back up if we feel like we're being preached at or if we feel like someone's telling us who we are. And because this is more sensitive, I'll, I'll try not to do that. But yeah, again, please forgive us <laughs> if we slip into it because we're so used to kind of speaking in an inclusive way that includes all of you, but we'll try our best. So I'm going to start by reading a quote that describes what a shadow side even is. The type 8 shadow conceals the purest parts of themselves because they are the least accessed. Softness, innocence, and vulnerability. Their shadow also hides insecurities that 8s refuse to admit. My wording around this is that our shadow side hides our underbellies. So if you think about a, a dog who doesn't want to roll over unless he's really secure to have his belly pet or a dragon in the stories whose belly is the the one spot that he can be killed or whatever. There is something about the shadow side that reminds me of armor, uh, right? And that fits the eight very, very well as as a picture. And we wrap layers of armor around the soft spots, making us less penetrable. It's what we're hiding behind. So Aaron, what would you say are, are some of the, the go-tos that you use to hide your underbelly? Uh, I would say my, the one I use the most probably is busyness. I just stay busy and moving all the time. I stay doing. I'm constantly doing things. And I, I feel that if I'm not doing something, it's not productive. And then I think that productivity piece is also another layer, right? It's just being productive is another way I can not have to unlayer that taking control (laughs) would be big for me and i i i don't think people who know me would call me a control freak by any stretch of the imagination i just control my environment it's why i host the parties it's why i am always the one to get people together it's why i'm the one initiating things um it gives me kind of the means to keep the control i guess I absolutely know I use initiation as a defense mechanism because if I am the one that invites everyone to the party and I'm the one that hosts it and I'm the one that initiates conversation about my weak spots and I'm the one who says it first, then I am deflating the threat. I'm deflating even the possibility of hurt because... Well, you're always invited when you're hosting. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. And if they nod their head after I say the the bad thing about myself, it loses its sting than if I felt like I was um, standing there unsuspecting and they dropped it on me. Yeah. I will often say it first. Mm-hmm. To a fault. Like I have friends who will say to me, that's not true. Right. But I, I will still put it out there first. I've heard that we think that we're being open by doing that. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between being transparent and being open. So when we are waving all our stuff, all our dirty laundry out the window, we're saying like, look at me, but you're just having them look at the dirty laundry. I think it's actually a form of control again. Yes, it's, it is. I'm going to take control of the situation. So you're not going to put that at me. I'm yeah. going to throw it at you. And now I control the narrative. Yeah, It's that going toward thing. Yeah. We just run toward the threat. <laughs> that's, that's what initiation is. Yeah, I use humor as well. I think maybe a lot of seven wings might relate to that is using self-deprecation as a way of taking the steam out of someone. If you don't take yourself too seriously, then you'll bend when you get hurt. You won't snap. So I do it an awful lot. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. And the last thing that Aaron doesn't super relate to is that bravado and the swagger and the kind of like powering up thing. 
I think I relate to it differently, actually. I wouldn't call it bravado. I think for me, it's just like a, I'm good. You can't hurt me. Like I, it's more of just a stance of I'm fine all the time. No big deal. Whereas I like to talk about how shitty I'm doing. Like, <laughs> what It's that um, initiation thing. If I go ahead and say I'm not doing well or, or whatever, then if you are eyeing me and can see I'm not doing well, you won't be the one to bring it up. I brought it oh, up. Oh, yeah. So I'm and I just where say we differ it. big time. I don't try and hide it. Yeah. I do not want to tell you I'm not doing well. Yeah. I'll hide first. No, I'm super comfortable with that. When I use swagger and toughness, it's in a room with people where the power dynamic is one where I'm not the highest on the totem. So I think it comes in where it's just very clear that if I don't assert myself, I might get lost or or pushed on. And so I I assert it really quick. And I, I use like pretty brash humor big humor. I make big statements. I even like harden up my posture. I didn't realize I did it, but I do. My face gets a little harder. And there is just almost like in the animal kingdom, a sense of like getting a little bigger in the room. And sometimes it uh, grosses me right out because I've started to catch myself doing it. And I'm like, that's really gross. And it's very transparent. It's very obvious what you're doing. Nobody here is not noticing that you're doing that. And then I shut it down. But And I'm grateful that I finally have started to see it because uh, I'm secure in and of myself. I don't need to put yeah. on a weird, like I don't need to, to. I think I understand what you're saying, though, where that weirdness comes over you. Because I, I, while I don't do it in the bravado type, I think maybe I do it in control of if I'm in a situation similar to that and somebody asks me about something that I know a lot of or I'm quite confident in myself, then I can turn that on. Yeah. And it's almost like a balloon being blown up a little bit at a time. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) And I think uh, when we are more conscious and more aware of it, we don't like it because we know what we're doing and it isn't really us. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah. Because there's something about that that reveals insecurity and we know it. That happens a lot. (laughs) I feel like I feel like the energy in our bodies takes us places a lot. Yeah. And then we come out of it being like, ugh. Yeah. Why didn't I tame that a little bit better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is from Don Rizzo. So Rizzo says, because they fear that they're going to be rejected, eights attempt to defend themselves by rejecting others first. The result is average eights become blocked in their ability to connect with people or or to love, since love gives other people power over them, reawakening their basic fear. The more eights build up their egos in order to protect themselves, the more sensitive they become to any real or imaginary slight. The more they make attempt to make themselves impervious to hurt or pain, whether physical or emotional, the more they shut down emotionally and become hardened and rock-like. When we first read it, the language is just so strong that at first it was hard to relate. So often you've got to kind of let it soak in a little. <laughs> I think of myself in the moments where... I don't have a lot of self-control and I become bigger than everybody else in the room. And for me, that looks like talking a lot, controlling the narrative, talking over top of people and not giving space for anybody else because I feel like my stuff is really important or what I'm thinking or feeling or wanting people to dive into is really important. I'm like really focused on the way he wrote it. He said, eights become blocked in their ability. That word blocked is kind of the key for me. There is something about being locked into my personality that creates an invisible barrier between me and the other person. That word blocked, if I were to envision it, it's me being blocked from seeing what other people need from me. Being blocked from seeing the impact I'm having on them and blocked from having the sensitivity to even care. In the moment, sometimes I actually can see the impact I'm having on them, but I have very little control in my body. And then I feel it all later. The magnitude of the impact comes in. If we were to boil it down really simply, we could say that when eights put on that tough act... And it's going to look different. Aaron's version of of demonstrating toughness, like we said, will look a little different than mine. Mine will look more classically tough, right? Tattoos and boxing and just kind of a swagger. Even in the way I walk, it's like kind of a tough walk. And it's something I I didn't even notice I was cultivating. Um, Whereas hers would be to be a little maybe detached from 
from the impact something's having on her. Either way, it fits the bill. It's all about that toughness. And the moment we can sense that in ourselves, we know that we're sitting right in the middle of our personality. And that means that we're in that average, average to unhealthy space. I am pretty confident that anybody listening to this podcast is in the average space, not the unhealthy space. I don't think eights who are unhealthy even have the capacity to reach out and get help a lot of the time. They have to be fetched. They have, someone has to go get them. There's something about those lower levels where, yeah, they don't know how to reach out. So I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that most of you are, are in that average range and we're right there with you. <laughs> that's, that's where we are. We still are super habitually sitting in our personality a lot of the time. So that tough act is our shadow. So it's worth discerning what, what is your tough act. Name it. So Don Rizzo, he, he is the one that started developing these levels of health. He couldn't help but see that there was a continuum or spectrum of being in the world. And it related to how entrenched someone was in their personality. So here's a quote regarding that. The structure is the continuum of behaviors, attitudes, defenses, and motivations. At each level, significant psychological shifts occur. For example, at level five, the person is trying to manipulate. So in the case of eights, I call that our push, that push factor, to get his or her psychological needs met. The levels are a measure of our capacity to be present. The more we move down the levels, the more we're identified with our ego, and it's increasingly negative and restrictive patterns. By contrast, moving towards health up the levels is simultaneously being more present and awake in our minds, hearts, and bodies. So as we become more present, we become less fixated in the defensive structures of our personality. And we're more attuned and open to ourselves and our environment. And we see our personality objectively in action rather than falling asleep to our automatic patterns. Big hormone Enneagram. Again, I've got to, I just have to plug them because I, I really haven't encountered anyone that puts better wording around a lot of this stuff. And what John on the podcast, who's a four, describes is how very, very rare it is for people to actually live up in the top tier of health. Levels one, two, and three have this incredible, hard to maintain quality to them where they're so present that they're able to observe their behavior in a neutral way and essentially rise up out of it and sit in this, yeah, this sense of awareness that most of us can't afford to do because we have so, to survive. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us have tasted moments of that presence and we understand just how different a state of being it is. Well, and when you're, when I'm doing the 10 minute meditation a day, right? It's an effort to stay in that space during those 10 minutes and you don't the whole time. You're just in and out. To maintain that on a, on a full-time basis, I think, at least on earth, I think would be fairly impossible. So being healthy is actually not about being more functional or having a better attitude. John makes that really clear on the podcast. It's about actually just being free. It's finding freedom from our personality. Yeah. And becoming someone who just is instead of someone who's striving and pushing and working hard. <laughs> what, what do you think of that when you think of being, of just being? When I've tasted little snippets of that, it is what I would define as freedom. It's the freest I have ever been. And for someone that longs for freedom, I know that that's the ticket. I know that's where freedom really lies because it means that whatever comes your way, whatever gets thrown at you, you're not a slave to your reactions, your reactivity, your emotional prison walls, your fears. You're able to kind of watch it happen and navigate it from a space that is so secure. Uh, and it's just very rare. I really have had moments. It's pretty sweet, pretty beautiful. Now, when you're in relationship with others, what do you think about just sitting in that relationship as opposed to being a all pusher? The things, well, all the things that you have placed valuable. Yeah. Like what if you strip all that away? If you strip your strength and your ability to plan and your ability to do and be busy. Like if you take all of that off of you and just sit you down, are you still worthy and valuable? Yeah, I've tasted that. My closest, most favorite people, that's how I'd characterize those relationships. It's when I have no armor on. I've slowly, as I've gotten to know them, taken away layer after layer after layer. These are usually people that are not pushing me to be better. 
There's no push to them. They're not insisting that I change. They come at me with that sort of present mindedness. And they're just looking at me. They're just looking at me and they're seeing me quite clearly, but they're not trying to educate me in spaces like that, where I just am very, very aware that they're just watching me and holding me right where I'm at. It's like, I'm like, all right, I guess I don't need all this heavy armor. All right. Right. Okay. We're good here. There's not going to be any jabs or sword pokes or backhanded smacks. None of that's coming. All right. I guess I'll take it all off. And then I'm not trying to push. I'm not trying to prove. I'm not trying to perform. All of that goes away. And I love who I am. It is just the most comfortable. Because of them, I now know the best me. I now know what it's like to be that person. And nothing less is satisfying. But because I don't trust everybody, (laughs) the armor goes right back on when I walk out the door until they prove it to me. So maybe health is becoming so secure that it doesn't matter how untrustworthy that person is. You're going to be able to maintain a level of... Because it's not dependent on them. That's the whole part of health is that it's, it's just about what's going on in you. The external world and people do not affect that, which... Like I said, I actually don't think we can live in those top levels here on Earth for extended periods of time, meaning like all the time. Yeah, John on Big Hormone, he actually says in like no uncertain terms, none of you have ever met somebody that lives in those levels full time ever, ever, ever. You might have met somebody that goes and visits (laughs) those levels, you know, more regularly than you do. But there is just no one walking around in the world who's always sitting in that uh, space It's just not a thing. So some of the reasons that we can't maintain or sit in those higher levels for long is because it's scary, right? If you are uh, someone who's just learning how to swim and you have a uh, like a life preserver, you're not going to be really comfortable having someone rip that out of your hands. It's scary to think that you're going to drop below the surface. The life preserver is the thing keeping you up. And we have become so comfortable using some of these defense mechanisms to prop ourselves up that the thought of just handing them over and being left is <laughs> yeah, it's just scary. Um, yeah, a friend once asked me to to actually picture throwing the door open and feeling the full depths of my feelings about something really, really terrible that had happened. And I tried to imagine doing that, just flinging it open, like not doing it in little bursts, but like, like not cracking the door open, but throwing the door open. And my breath started to, my heart started beating faster. And I fear it was fear that I was feeling. It felt like so I would interesting, die. Because I can now do that. I can throw the door wide open, but it has to be on my terms. I have to be alone. I have to know I'm going to be alone for a while. I have to know that I don't have anything coming the next day. But there is a place where I fear that and will not do it. And it's with someone else. Like if anybody is present, I cannot let them see that raw piece of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another reason we might not want to sit up in those higher levels of health is that we actually just don't see the value because we're doing what works for us yeah john big hormone he talks about how we are really functional in those average levels right we it just works for us we've lived that way so long that we are highly functional humans and all those defense mechanisms have gotten us this far so why would we change anything and and we've built a life around that and uh Yeah, so I think we all have a choice to make once we start seeing some of this stuff. It requires us to ask the question, could there be more for us? Is it worth testing out what it would be like to let go of some of these things and seeing if that works better for us? And there's a bit of a leap of faith. There's a bit of a leap of faith and there's a bit of a time period of adjustment, I would say. Yeah, because it is going to hurt. It is going to feel really raw. Like I said, I can do that scary thing and open that door now. I was not able to do that in the past, but I'm super aware of the fact that frigate hurts more than anything else. It's like stabbing yourself in the heart with knives over and over, but knowing it will end. (laughs) It, It does take time to train yourself too to know what you can handle and that this too shall pass. What did someone, how did someone put it? Something to the effect of when we try out some of this new stuff, we basically have to acclimatize to it. It's like, don't, can't just like jump right in and expect that to feel comfortable. When we are talking about the levels of health, Don Rizzo had them divided into nine levels in groups of three. So the lowest, lowest levels are 
when somebody is so bound up in their type that they're they're really truly enslaved to it. And in neurological terms, the neuropathways have become so, so hard. The grooves have become so, so set that behavior change is, is almost impossible. At that point, you would need clinical help and you would need medication. And these are pathological people. These yeah. are people who are totally trapped in their violent. personality. Yeah, so you, you've heard it all before. We've heard it too much, haven't we? That eights are associated with dictators and... Predatory type behavior. and yeah. violence. And so at those lower levels, everybody is out to get them. They're assuming that they will always be betrayed. They are completely incapable of trusting anybody. And the lengths to which they go to protect themselves are endless. You know, And I would say that the eight space is probably the most dangerous in the unhealthy levels because we carry so much power. It's the power piece. Yep. I <laughs> I don't know if I ever ended up putting this in the podcast because I didn't think you were ready for it. Uh, but here we are, episode 19. You've got to be ready by now. Absolutely. <laughs> and again, it's not proven. It's just a theory. And it's John over at Big Hormone Enneagram. He just said that after studying a lot of the psychology behind all the types, he just doesn't think any other type can hold the amount of power that dictators hold in the world. And that's why on all the lists, you see Stalin, you see, yeah, all these scary people, <laughs> because it's the combination of being able to wield that much power and compulsion along with the ability to deaden our emotions. And there isn't another type structure that is as adept at doing both those things at the same time. I'm not saying that I believe that 100%. It just does seem a little logical. I just think we have to remember that on the flip side of health, we can also be the most powerful people in the world. Absolutely. For, for the better. Yeah, for the same reasons, because we can then hold the power very well, use the compulsion for good, and feel all the depth of feelings and somehow be able to hold all that. But right now we wanted to talk to ourselves and to you because we are all in that average range, yes. And so that would be levels four, five, and six. And the way Don Rizzo describes those, Erin, what are some of the things in level six that eights so would be dealing with? The average level six person would be pretty confrontational or intimidating. They may be afraid that others are not backing them up and may lose control of their situation as a result of that. And they might be trying to pressure others to do what they want through threats or oppression. They can be bad tempered and defiant. In level five, we're looking at self-glorifying, dominating. They might worry that others will not respect them or give them their due, so they'll try and convince others of their importance. They might boast or bluff. They make big promises and get people aligned with their plans. They could be willful or proud, and they want others to know they're in charge. Let's just sit with that for a bit. So I have so many thoughts on yeah. these. <laughs> It's so interesting, right? Because I think some of this is our strengths, but yet I totally see how we use it. Um, and then there's some I don't, I don't understand. They try to pressure others to do what they want through threats or oppression. I feel like I'm so much more skilled than that. I don't need threats and oppression. I do it by getting them on board with what it is I want to accomplish by selling it. I don't do it by threatening people, though I certainly see how that could happen. What about you? Would you ever threaten someone to get into to get your way? No, the only person I've ever threatened was my little brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We've talked and I can about say that. the same about my siblings. My siblings, <laughs> yeah. when we were younger, I'm sure I threatened them all the time. Yeah, and but. it's when you're little, you you know you don't have the power, and so yeah. people who threaten people are insecure people, Absolutely. and so that's why often as we grow and mature, we become more balanced. Hopefully, that's the trajectory we aim for: is less threatened humans. Don't threaten other humans. <laughs> but do you still try to get people to do your plans? I relate to level five through all teenhood to some level and maybe early adulthood. Um, not to the deepest extent, but there's a flavor to it that I find what familiar. that we spoke about? Self-glorifying, dominating? It has what? to do with being proud and swaggery. I powered up and I built an identity around powering up uh, so that people knew that I was tough. It was very important to me that they know that. And people would then label me proud because of that. And sometimes what's really odd about 
the type of eight I am is, and I've heard Dak Shepard say this, he said, I am the proudest and yet most self-loathing person I know. He goes from thinking he is just the, the most amazing human to being the most gross, weak human. The higher you are, the lower you fall pride comes before a fall. And so when you put a lot of identity in seeing yourself as a big person, then when you fall from there, it's quite a fall. So that defines my youth. I would say that is how I would describe my youth is this weird roller coaster of building myself up to be quite a big person and then falling from that. And it was me that took me down. It wasn't other people bringing me down. I would fall from my own height. (laughs) and uh, would maybe take some people out with me as I went. Willful and proud, I would say that I didn't, I wasn't boastful, but I think willful, yeah, everyone was going to follow me. And proud, probably, probably have called it confidence, but there is probably a proud component to that for sure. I did like to know others knew that I was in charge. At the same time, I didn't want to control people. So it was sort of like, are you with me? Because if you are, awesome, let's go. If you're not, okay, no worries. See ya. Going into level four, they talk about being shrewd and expedient about getting the resources they want. They're competitive or more guarded about their feelings. And that would sum me up pretty well in high school, I think. And yeah, tell me more about most that. Most of my adult life. I can always get what I want. <laughs> it's simply just because... I see the picture and I know how to get around the obstacles in a snapshot. It's so such a fast calculation that goes on that I don't see things as real obstacles because they're just movable to me. Um, so I think I always got what I want and probably never being aware of what others maybe wanted or needed at the time because maybe they were scared to stand up to me to that because the power I held was a little bit intimidating maybe. I've told you that. That's how I experienced you. (laughs) Didn't feel calculated. I didn't feel like you were manipulating it. I was oblivious. To be brutally honest with you, I never ever intended to harm anybody or felt the need to have power over anyone. I don't think I knew the power I held till the last 10 years, looking back. And that's why I put up with it. I just knew (laughs) you weren't trying to manipulate me into coming along. No. You were just wielding this thing and I consented to go along. But we were reflecting on another friend who is part of the group and we suspect that's not how she felt. It might have felt more overwhelming. I I think a lot of people felt like they had no choice. choice. Yeah, that's right. The more guarded feelings thing was almost subconscious. You were just not even aware that your feelings were not really coming into play. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, you were just busy moving. And the competitive piece, I completely, childhood and teen years, I can can remember being competitive, but not... So I would play football with my cousins, and they were all a little bit older than me and bigger than me, and it was just like, I'm going to come out and I'm going to play hard. Like, I'm. there's no way you guys are going to play softer because I'm a girl or because whatever right and that resulted in two broken feet but anyways um (laughs) didn't end well for me but but it's because I refused to not meet them where they were or be competitive with them and I'm trying competitive really resonates with me and I'm having trouble articulating that and this is where you and I differ because I don't relate to competitiveness shrewdness shrewdness or being really expedient I don't care what other people are doing and I don't reference them at all a whole lot I want to do what I want to do for me level four looks a lot like being way too picky and way too aligned and putting too much identity in what I love and what I'm passionate about versus what I don't love and what I'm not passionate about and it can alienate people because I am, you know, reveling (laughs) in my own uniqueness and in my likes and dislikes. And someone looking in is going, but I don't like those things. And she's saying that those things are everything. Those things are the best things. And I don't align with those. So that means where do I factor into her life? I I know I've made people feel that way. Yeah, John from... I'm just going to call it BHE. It's shorter. We're referring to them a lot in this episode. (laughs) No. (laughs) Big hormone. So he says that basically level four is being the best version of an eight you can be. And that's as far as you get. You're See, in that your makes type. Me a little bit sad because I feel like I sit in for a lot. So this is the best that there is for me. So why don't you be competitive about it and do better? <laughs> I'm on it. I'm Use it as this. your push. <laughs> yeah, he says, but but you don't have any foot in being. You've got both feet planted in doing eight yeah. and no foot reaching out into being 
in the average space, you're not really able to observe your defaults and your habits. You don't even really see them. You're kind of blind to them for the most part. And we kind of become the default and habit. That's what we identify with instead of being a person who's observing our defaults and habits and then testing out new ones, right? Yeah. So like I said, when Emika from that podcast, who is an eight, described what it's like to be in level four as a sexual eight like me. He described being too identified with his likes and dislikes. And what he described was being someone who collects people based on how interesting they are. <laughs> okay, if you could sum Joe up right That's there. That's me. That's right me. there. Nail oh, on I, the head. I felt that so hard because I can be so callous about that. I will cultivate (laughs) like a menagerie of humans. (laughs) (laughs) It's not calculated at all, though. (laughs) I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm glad I'm here. I just have abs. Yes. (laughs) I I don't have um, the patience to sit around with not interesting people because if interesting people and Emika would use the word juicy or he's like he goes where the juice is because interesting people with interesting energy fuel me they fuel sexual types I'm gonna say that I probably do the same thing in a less calculated way where I just don't put anything in to the people that don't give me energy Mm-hmm. So then they, by default, fall away, right? So I, I'm not making conscious decisions, but if you're not, it, yeah, if I don't feel an energy from you that meets kind of what I need or my intensity levels, then I... Maybe that's what differentiates level four from the lower levels is, I'll agree with you, is I'm not actively cutting them off. It's not that. It's that I am I am almost like a sunflower. I'm bending towards the interesting people. And that's where my attention's going. And the ones that are not interesting, I forget about them. I just don't put anything into those relationships. And so I end up surrounded by interesting people. Because we, we work off energy. It is particular to the sexual, though. It's like on steroids. I, oh, I definitely, there's definitely a distinctive difference between you and me in that area, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, it's uh, almost like I can see people as colors. And some people are fire and light, and other people are invisible. That's how I've described it. It's very body. It's a very body sense. And sexual types are double body. It's like we're already body, and then that's magnified. It's really interesting. We found some cool descriptors of how average to unhealth looks in the different flavors of eight that we've talked about over the season. So if you're an eight with a seven wing, Erin, why don't you read some of the things they say about that? So they say that eights with a seven wing are more pragmatic and practical, competitive, are not overly concerned with pleasing others or putting up with what they perceive as weakness or inefficiency. They can become impatient, impulsive, and are more likely to be led by their feelings than the other subtypes. They're more openly aggressive and confrontational and less likely to back down from a fight. So if I was going to say that something sums me up neatly in a little paragraph, that might be it. (laughs) The eight wing nine, by contrast, is more strategic and watchful. They almost dare others to underestimate them. Eights of this subtype might be stubborn or impassive and quietly menacing. When they lose their tempers, the explosion comes suddenly and violently, and then it's gone. Do you relate to that at all? Quietly menacing. Am I quietly menacing? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, as much. Either. I mean, other than this, I can be stubborn. I don't bottle sure. up my temper and then explode ever. If I'm if unhappy I'm explode, with you, I'm it's right away. Yeah, it's me like, too. Yeah, no, if any of you have nine wings, it'd be cool to hear from you hear what that looks like. And then we go into the subtypes, right? Yeah. So I'll read self-preservation because that is definitely the second in line for me. And um, so I'm more likely to be able to resonate. All right. So self-preservation eights who are average to unhealthy, they can definitely insist on ruling the roost. They tend to be more materialistic than the other two um, instinct variants. Uh, They might be more interested in money for power. Uh, and look to acquire prized possessions. They're more prone to workaholism, may worry about protecting their possessions and investments. Their homes, they might be territorial about their homes and their belongings because that makes them feel more secure if they have a clear idea where their possessions are and if they're safe. They might be constantly checking on their finances and their possessions and belongings. They can become bullies and thieves, justifying their destructive behavior by the belief that they're toughening others up 
And at the very least, they often feel justified for acting selfishly or in a self-oriented way without regard for consequences or for others' feelings. They do not hesitate to undermine or attack others to protect their interests, to make sure that no one has the ability to threaten their material security. Do you resonate with any of that? Some of it I resonate with, for sure. The reason I I know I'm not self-prez, apart from the overwhelming uh, way I identify with the sexual, is that I can do that neutral observation of when I get funny about my possessions, and I have a say. So I, I just remember as a kid, I really did kind of squirrel my stuff away and keep it in one spot. But then if my mom came and spread it across the room again, it was annoying, but it wasn't a threat. I would very much want to get to the dessert table first at a party to get the first piece of cake. And I remember the day when I was like, well, that's gross. Don't do that anymore. And I deliberately made myself go last. So it's like this weird default tendency that crops up in me. And I've learned that that is a lot about that second position in your stacking. It's something in you definitely has an affinity for doing those kinds of things, but you have power over it and you can see it for what it is. And you're like, eh, easy come, easy go. So I do very much, if, if I had my way, sure, I like to know where my stuff is. I like that it's not mixed up with everybody else's. And and I like food a lot. And really, there's well, something in me that... worry is that like, we're, we're the fear of missing out. We're like, I don't want to get the end and not get the food I want. So I'm just going to be first in line. <laughs> yes. I resonate with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've never had any concern about money. Every now and then... I get a little funny about what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. But we've had times where our money's been stripped right down and we've been living right on the line and it feels exhilarating. Like I feel like I can rise to that challenge. I'll just be creative and I'll make it work. And if everything gets taken away, we'll be okay. So I just know it's not a real thing for me. And also I would say that I have that hedonistic quality to me where I can become a little bit justified in acting selfishly, right? I'm so driven to get what I need that I'm not taking into account what other people, um, what it costs them when I go and get it. And I have attributed that to having that self-pres bent to myself combined with the seven. That's where that shows up in me more than it does with Erin with her social, but we'll get to the social next. So why don't you go for that? All right. So in the social levels, well, lower social levels. So we're still talking mid-range here, I think. Um, You might take your friends for granted or reject them over a disagreement. You might feel betrayed easily or tend to hold grudges longer than others. Once someone's been exiled from the inner circle, eights are extremely reluctant to let that person back in. They can be really good storytellers, degenerate into gross exaggeration. They might become charming rogues or con artists full of promises, but offering little support for others. In the unhealthy range, due to feelings of rejection and betrayal, social eights can become extremely antisocial loners. They can be reckless and self-destructive and are particularly prone to substance abuse. So because you're not deeply unhealthy, you're obviously not going to relate to the exact wording, but does no, a lot but of I it... No, but I do relate to some of this. So I think, I, d- I don't feel like I take my friends for granted. I am usually the one who's pouring into them, um, if you're in my close circle. But reject them over a disagreement. If I don't feel safe... And if I feel like we're in murky ground, I will pull myself out and I will be quiet for a while till I feel safe again. So yeah, I think I, and to them, that would look like I'm rejecting them, but it might just be me. Maybe it is me rejecting them. (laughs) Keep talking. (laughs) But I think it's, it's a safety mechanism for me. It's just trying to make sure that I feel safe again so that I can be me. The holding grudges longer than most, I am the queen (laughs) of holding grudges. Usually it's my husband that gets the best of that. But if you say sorry to me and you want to work it out, or if you you tell me I hurt you and I need to apologize, I can work through that with you pretty quickly when it's raw honesty, if you're not my husband. <laughs> For some reason, he's my safe person where I feel like I can get what I need out of that so I can hold it out till I do. I think it's a protective mechanism too. I do think you're a charming rogue. <laughs> You know the, um, I think he's more of a seven, but Entangled, Eugene? Oh, yes. I just, I'm like, hi, Aaron. I don't know. <laughs> There's something about him that reminds me of you. Again, because you're you're not de- a deeply unhealthy eight, the wording's too strong. But I could see you being that if you were no, less healthy. I think I can be that way too. Oh my goodness, And totally. I think it's part of the ability to be able to get anybody to come along for whatever yep. it is I want to do, right? <laughs> like I have this. Yes. Which I didn't know I'd have. Well, and you're really good at manipulating the system. 
I always said there's something about Erin where horseshoes come out of her ass. I don't but, think so. I think I just know how to work, work around it. You work at it. It's not easy. That's where I got that wrong is you make it happen. And so you could be a con artist. I think all of that fits who you could be if you were less healthy. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think <laughs> I could be a con artist. I remember hearing some of the things you do business wise. You were not at all ashamed of it. You were like, nope, I can work around this and I can do it this way. And, and you have to da-da-da. cut that out now because my husband will lose his shit. He can't hack it. He honestly, I believe, denies the fact that he knows that I... The lengths that you go to to make it work. So how can we word it? Can you please describe your relationship to being a con artist in business? (laughs) In business? I'm not a con artist in business. I still abide by the law. No, I think the con artist piece is more of I take rules and I look at them and I say, how can I make this work for me? Right? And I just, I don't break the rules. Um, I break the rules. You do? I don't break the law. (laughs) I don't break the law. Um, Unless I'm speeding. Okay, so I break the law. But I don't actively go and look to break rules that are illegal. I look at rules that are made and I think, what do I want? And I see the rules there and I think, "Mm, I can get around that. And here's how I can logic my way out of it. Here's the wording that I'd put around it. I've heard you actually literally break rules. And what you're doing is you're going, it's worth the risk because I've calculated it so that the worst they could do is this. Absolutely. And so that's what I'm trying to say is you actually... Yeah, and I, it has to better me or my family in your some Your calculations way. are I, genius. My that's calcul- what's crazy about you calculating, yeah. is you have a gift for calculating. Um, and it's too bad you didn't run things because things would be way more efficient and they'd make more sense. Yes. Can I run the world, please? Yeah. Someone? But it doesn't. <laughs> but you all have to back me up. I don't want to deal with any crap of people pushing yeah. back against me. Just but, follow me or don't. <laughs> that's why I believe Aaron's tri-type really could run all the empires of the world, all CEOs and whatnot, because of that gift. I think it's so funny you bring attention to it, because it's so not a conscious thing I know about. Oh, it's so obvious to me, because I don't have any of that gift. Yeah. And so it's just the way I live, and I don't even know that it's a yes. thing till now. Oh, no. I like it watch you sometimes i'm like whoa (laughs) (laughs) whoa well i think the same thing i watch you on instagram and think whoa (laughs) shut this down before i get overwhelmed (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right it's very clear that we all hold a kind of power yeah, I and agree. power just has a, a look and a flavor to it. And it's it's quite something. <laughs> it's quite something. So why don't I read the sexual and you sure. you say what you relate to. Yeah. Sexual might demand loyalty, consistency, and attention. They would have little tolerance for wandering interests. Uh, they can sometimes see themselves in a parental or mentoring role. They want to remold people into shapes that better fit their needs and plans. They might have an opinion about every aspect of others' lives. This would make it difficult for them to maintain a healthy relationship of equality. In the really unhealthy range, sexual eights can attempt to completely control and dominate their partner. They might be extremely jealous, seeing others as possessions, and might seek to isolate their significant other from friends. They could be impulsive, have acts of revenge, capable of spousal abuse or crimes of passion. This is when you're seeing the really unhealthy space. So do you relate to any of those? Yeah, like anything that is... um what I feel is like little seeds inside me that could blossom into these things. And the reason I know that is one little taste I had of it when I was younger of being in a relationship where a lot of this was starting to grow and take shape. And it's the first time I realized what I was capable of. Um, And what that looked like was the way I describe it is I wanted to be fused to this person. I wanted my cells to be fused to their cells. I wanted my being to be completely entwined with their being. I wanted us essentially to be like one person. And I, I remember that was true physically as well. I couldn't get closer to them. I felt like it wasn't enough that there was space between our skin. Like, And I know that sounds so odd to people that haven't tasted that, but that's what sexual energy is like. And it doesn't come around a lot. It's the weird alchemy of finding someone whose energy is to your liking. <laughs> like It's like, uh, please don't judge me, Twilight series, where Edward says that the smell of Bella's blood is like a drug. Yes. I can so, totally see that. Yes. With sexual energy, there is a, a trace quality. or an imprint yeah. of it. And we all have a kind of hunger for a certain energy. And I'd found it with this person. And um, what was super scary about it is eights 
are autonomous creatures and we value autonomy. And I was giving up all of that for this fused with weird else. state of being where I'm a like a one person fused to another person situation. I've never known jealousy quite like that. And I had no reason to be jealous. There was objectively no reason. And yet I found myself jumping at shadows all the time. There was no level of closeness that was close enough. The poor boy didn't stand a chance. It was never <laughs> going to work. Remolding into shapes. I relate to it in terms of if they're slowing me down or, or it's messing up my plans that they are being the way they're being. <laughs> yeah. So if it gets in my way, I can see getting frustrated with with that. But again, I don't feel like I actively push myself on other people anymore at this point in life. But I totally see how you'd get there. And so all at this point, all I feel is irritated. I feel like an inner irritation or impatience with someone, but I'm not trying to turn them into somebody else. But they might feel like they weren't good enough because I'm letting off yeah. an air of frustration or something. Oh, ooh, I cannot handle if I am having a conversation with someone and their attention is wandering. Well, then it happens to me all the time. My attention wanders. I know you do it to me all the time. Like for real. (laughs) And if your kids walk in the room, if your kids walk in the room, you (laughs) abandon what we're saying and you go, you turn to them like, and I'm like, do you know why I do that? Screw your kids. Because I'm like, how can I get you out of here the fastest way possible? So what do you need? Get out back to you. Here's what happens to me. Ellie could be hanging off the chandelier. She could literally, probably, actually, that has happened. And I, it's like part of my brain can see her dangling there. And I'm like, this conversation's more important. Oh, that's hilarious. So, so mine is still, this conversation's the impo- most important. How do I get your, dis- that distraction out of the way as fast as possible to get back to the important conversation? Uh, it's not good. It's not good, this thing I do. This fixating. Yes, but uh, I relate to that. If you're with me, be fully with me. Yeah. And if you're not, uh, going to be able to do that let's just meet another time except the world doesn't work like that yeah which means i'm constantly frustrated yeah and irritated that yeah. would be very frustrating yeah and then the rare time where i'm with somebody who's fully engaged it's like drinking water after like after a long time of being thirsty yeah i feel like poor sexual types are like very frustrated a lot of the time because it's very rare to find sexual power eight a match. plus your four sexual yeah. piece like it's got to be a really tough space yeah. in your own skin sometimes yeah it's like definitely like roving around looking for something that's really hard to find yeah and like having to settle for less <laughs> it's kind of hard mm, that might have been a little rough but we have to get through it and we're not done yet <laughs> Next episode, we're actually going to go one by one through the layers, all the different kinds of layers that contribute to our shadow side. We're going to talk about what they look like, and Erin and I will try and take really sober stock of how much of that is in us. And then the sun will come out, I promise. We'll actually start to talk about what we can do about it. Keep hanging in there with us. I don't think it's a mistake that people refer to eights as the strong ones. In spite of all of the scaffolding of strength that we put on, I think there's actually incredible true strength underneath, and that's that's what we want for us, that's what we want for you. Because I really think that is our gift in the world, to be the shields, to be the protectors, to be the first responders, and yes, to be immovable when that's what's needed, when somebody needs to hold the line and endure the onslaught for the sake of other people. When that moment comes, I don't know about you, but I want to be able to stand in front of the people I love so that so that I can take the hits for them, and I won't buckle. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>